And welcome to Tales Wales, a Welsh history podcast brought to you by two boozy idiots. I'm Frank, and I'm joined by Jack. We've been friends for about 20 years and both have a genuine love for Welsh history and comedy, so we thought and try and blend the two and put it into a bloody old podcast. We're going to talk through famous Welsh battles, events, and people, whilst having a few cans and trying to shine a light on an otherwise dim lit history. To stay up to date with everything from the pod, get around our Twitter account, Tales for Wales, that's the number four. Um, without much further ado, what the bloody hell have you been up to? David Jack Newby. Uh, not too much, mate. I I was going to talk a bit about. Uh, I I think I was texting you at the time, like sort of little snippets of the hell I was in, and that away day, that work away day, I went on. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounded grim. So a bit of background for for our lovely listeners. We went um up to the Avan Valley uh for like some activities, team chats, and shit like that. It the place is actually really lush. I don't know if you've ever been there. But, yeah, um, it is it's nice. It's like stunning views. It's yeah. it's got like a big dam there, like a reservoir and everything. Yeah. It's, it's lush. Can I tell we you also did a bit of a bit history. of history as well. Are oh, you nerd? Archery is so lame. Uh, I've I've actually got a newfound connection to my Welsh heritage <laughs> by mastering the bow. So uh, don't make fun of it, actually. Mate, or I'll Were come you good at it? So <laughs> oh. Oh, I'll tell you what. My first shot I did, I got I got a nine, which is just outside the bullseye, <laughs> and I was like, "This is fucking piece of piss." But the next one just flew straight over the target. I was absolutely shocking for the rest of it. But so I, I peaked a bit too early. But I, I, I got a newfound sort of a respect for the old uh, longbowmen of old. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have a um, a story to add then about? Oh yeah, yeah. Or um, well, only because it's where the um, the Ruhr, the the German gangbusters, tried to um, uh, blow up the place to blow up that dam. But they had loads of pill butters, and there's a famous. UK person who defended the Land Valley against the d- Dambusters and the uh, what those bombs they used to drop the Germans used to drop were they Dambusters or the Dambusters the ones that the UK the dropped around. yeah so it's I the German remember. it's the Nazi Dambusters they try to do a similar thing here they try to drop those bombs it's in Peep Show where they reference you know he goes I'm the Raw and they start throwing like bricks at each other oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's just one that's... one for us history lovers right there going on from the the archery so you got a ten. Oh, no, not quite a ten, a nine, oh, yeah, so not even yeah. not even full marks. Yeah, I got a nine on my first shot. That, believe it or not, that was the highlight of the week. That one of the week, a couple of days I was away. I just hate paint, uh, archery because it's the same vibe as a uh, paintball marshal. They're always so serious about it. Yeah, the guy, the guy who was organising it was very much like that. I couldn't help but notice he was like, "When you're in the firing zone, you aim down. You do not lift your bow." <laughs> Yeah. If I see you with your mask up, I will take you off. It's your <laughs> All right, Marshall. You do not walk into the firing zone <laughs> when there is a live arrow in someone's bow. And it was just like, yeah, obviously I'm not going to walk in front of people fucking shooting arrows, you dozy prick. It is good. It is. I, I just they take it so serious. Like you've been you've been bullied all your life, and now you've got an ounce of power. You're going to fucking run with it to the hilt. I thought, I thought you were having a go at me then, saying like you've been bullied all your life and now you chose a shit <laughs> sport. Fucking I was like, loser. fucking hell. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. no. I, know, I was meant to start this to moan about the sort of corporate aspect of this, but instead I'm just being bullied for like having a modicum of enjoyment <laughs> from archery. 
I, I, I do hate. I think I'm just not very good at it because it's really hard to pull it back. So I just instantly think, well, it's shit. It's fucking solid, mate. Yeah, is, and I thought because I've watched a couple of YouTube videos on archery. I know it sounds sad. It's the um, <laughs> as in like those you know those ones I watch where it's like an expert judges like film scenes. Yeah. I've seen a couple of them, and they've. I thought I had some pointers. Great on paper, not so much in practice. I, I fucking just didn't know what I was doing. I could make heads or tails of it. Yeah, so how was the rest of it? So the corporate stuff. That's where you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna love this, right? So. After the archery and everything, our first kind of chat, you know, like the group chats they do. Yeah. The topic, they said, the topic's on the board. And I looked over and I read, discuss your hopes and fears. <laughs> oh, how my eyes rolled. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. I thought, is that a bit, is that a bit fucking deep, yeah. you know, for <laughs> for like a little corporate away day? Well, my fears but they obviously are, meant um, in regard to work. <laughs> yeah, but maybe express that because <laughs> Fears are uh, dying alone, uh, being outed as a paedophile when I'm not a paedophile, uh, being uh, stitched up. Yeah, in some I was thinking, what are they after? Like, what are your hopes? Oh, well, I hope the whole, you know, Ukraine thing sorts itself out. I mean, that'd be good. I mean, world peace if we can get to there, you know, climate change. <laughs> where does it end? And they go, well, what we really think is we need to make uh, marketing work better with sales. So, hmm. <laughs> Project Zeus. <laughs> well... The thing is, it was so bloody pointless, that thing, because obviously it's work-related hopes and dreams. Just such a waste of time. Everyone obviously had basically the same answer. You might as well like sum it up as hopes were positive things and yeah. fears were just the equally negative things you'd expect from work. It was just a complete waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I was texting you in the night one night because we finally got around to there was a surprising amount of booze there, actually. I was impressed that they'd stocked up so much. Yeah. So then there was that slight chance that we might have like a fun night. But of course, it's, it's also stunted because all the bosses are there. You don't know most of the people. So you don't know what their stance on the word cunt is and et cetera. Yeah. You know, you're <laughs> so stifled. You can't really enjoy yourself. Yeah. So even though there's loads of booze, no one really took that much advantage. So I don't know. It, it got to the point where all the people I like, they stayed up for a bit and then went to bed. So it got to that desperation where I'm like trying to sort of get some momentum <laughs> going with people troops. I don't really know and I don't really know how to handle them, you know? <laughs> so, oh, I, you'll like this as well. I, uh, I spilled someone's drink at one point as well. Yeah. Once again, I was playing the fool of the group. <laughs> but I knocked his cider over and I was like, oh shit, I'm sorry, mate. And I didn't know where anything was in this place. So I was running around trying to find some kitchen roll. Eventually, eventually went to the bogs for, with some toilet roll. And of course, that was going all bitty then when I was yeah. wiping it up. And people were going, you're ruining it. You're not cleaning up. Or you're getting the bits in the carpet. And all. I was like, oh, you go God, in. Sorry, my liege. Let me clean this off you, my liege. I'm ever so sorry. I didn't mean to do it, my lord. Yeah. Oh, cripes and cribbins. May I fetch you another horn of ale, my liege, please? <laughs> I have to beg my pardon. Was it free booze? Yeah, yeah, all free. I bought a um, I bought half a bottle of rum with me just on the off chance that they they didn't have enough there. And when I told people that, they looked at me a bit like, "Why are you like really?" And I, and I was like, "No, nah, no, nah, joking, mate. No, I'm not joking. It's, it's in my room." There was another guy there who bought a whole liter of whiskey, so I didn't feel so bad after that. Oh, he sounds a bit of a ledge. How about you, mate? What have you been doing? Well, I uh, maybe we'll save that because we're doing two back-to-back episodes and nothing's happened this week. So I'll save my anecdote for the next pod. But it's it's a, it's a goodie. It's quite a goodie. It's quite a funny little uh, funny little tale. You've um, piqued my interest, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's that thing when they say? Uh, I was curious and now I'm intrigued. <laughs> oh, any... bloody Django! Yeah. Oh, is yeah. that what it is? Was it you? Uh, 
you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. <laughs> yeah, uh, it involves a fart at a party, so that's that'll be that's the tale for next week. Oh, that's a hell of a sizzle reel, that. Yeah. <laughs> you got me, I'm in. <laughs> All right, do you want to start giving us the... Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about the tragic battle of... Uh, I call it Odwen Bridge, but what, what do you call it? I kept saying Odwen, but it's it's spelled Orewin, isn't it? Orewin yeah, Bridge. Orwin, yeah. But I suppose oh. if we just... I, I'm probably going to mistake and say Orwen Bridge quite a bit, so yeah. apologies for that, but, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That wasn't me, by the way. That was the dog burping, if you heard that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is slurping in the background. Oh, yeah. He's, he's saddled up right next to me. He's very cute, but he's like breathing. He's trying to breathe directly into the mic. I'm going to palm his nose away. <laughs> I'll pass over to you to talk about this week's uh, episode, which is the Battle of Odwen Bridge. So, yeah, the Battle of Orewin Bridge, uh, also known as the Battle of Irvon Bridge, happened on the 11th of December, 1282. The battle pitted the Welsh against the combined forces of the English and the Welsh martial lords. So these were lords of lands that sat on the English and Welsh border, basically. For a bit of background, this wasn't the first time the Welsh and English monarchs had come to blows. Llewellyn Lap Griffith, the Welsh prince, had warred with Edward I of England years earlier in 1277. Edward overran North Wales with a huge army, and Llewellyn was forced to accept humiliating terms and concede large areas of Wales to England. The five years that followed this were fraught with tension between Llewellyn and Edward over a myriad of issues, including lawsuits and a rising unrest from the Welsh against the English rulers in the lands that Llewellyn was forced to give up. A new Welsh revolt began in 1282 and was actually started by Llewellyn's brother David. He captured Hawarden Castle and slaughtered its garrison on Easter of that year, a move that infuriated King Edward. There's varying sources on sort of why David did this, but it seems likely it was due to a land dispute not going in his favour. This was something that used to happen quite a lot back then when it uh, was a Welsh lord versus an English one. I think it happened to um, um Clint Dewar at some point later yeah. down the line as well in the 15th century as well, didn't it? It's, it's a classic yeah. setup. Yeah. This attack led to an uprising in many parts of Wales. Eventually, Llewellyn declared war on Edward again on behalf of the Welsh people. That's the sort of lead up to it, if you like, and sort of why this uh, war is going on in the first place. But leading up to the actual battle itself, Edward was using the same tactics he'd used in the previous war to subdue the Welsh. So he pushed large armies through his lands in North Wales, occupying as far as Conoy and staging incursions south from Anglesey in order to subdue Llewellyn's allies and anyone who supported him, basically. The Welsh showed a gritty resolve, though, and beat the English in a number of battles, including the Battle of Llandale Vaur and the Battle of Moiladon. We actually did another episode on uh, Moiladon as well. I'd highly recommend it, mainly because it's an awesome episode, as every one of these is. But also, it's just a class battle to, to listen to. Um, it's an mental battle. It's one of, our, one of our faves, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bizarre... It's one of the weirdest battles I've ever read or talked about. It's, it's, a, it's a corker. Yeah, it's not a, it's not something you think would exist in real life, but it's it's, it's very good. Carrying on, uh, these Welsh victories at Llandale of and Moiladon, they set Edward's campaign back months, basically, while he had to raise fresh armies and supplies to sort of keep, keep the invasion going. Llewellyn tried to take advantage of this by making an expedition into mid-Wales to inspire and rally support back home. The territories he was carving into were ruled by these marcher lords that I'd mentioned earlier. So these lords were there to guard the border between Wales and England, and they had special dispensations afforded to them, usually enjoying a fair bit of independence from King Edward, and allowed to run their lands almost as they saw fit, basically. So these guys were, in a way, a law unto themselves in their own lands, and they got sort of a bit of preferential treatment because they were sort of uh, holding the water back, if you like, from Wales. 
some of these lords were on the fence as to whether they should support Llewellyn after the early run of victories, but there were three big players that were diehard Edward supporters. Roger Lestrange, John Gifford, and Edmund Mortimer. So these guys were big-time names in the Master Lord regions, and they were situated in mid-Wales with an army consisting mainly of archers and some heavy horse when Llewellyn was sort of marching towards them. They had a big boost to their numbers thanks to another Welsh lord called Griffith Ap Gwenwynnin, who donated a bunch of troops to them. So a bit of background for him, why this Welsh lord was being a dirty little turncoat. Griffith's father had been exiled by Llewellyn the Great when he was just a child. Llewellyn the Great was Llewellyn in Llewellyn, this, this Llewellyn's granddad, wasn't it, or father? Yeah, I think it was his granddad. I'm not. I, I should yeah, double I check right. that. Really, classic no. uh, history podcast. Yeah. Not bloody <laughs> I think it checking out friends, but yeah, yeah, that's it. So this is like a couple of generations of um, of exiles there from many a Llewellyn. So he was a bit embittered against um, current Llewellyn, which is why he had a bit of a bone to pick with him, and he donated these big number of troops to these martial lords to you know help fight off Llewellyn. So all in all, the English with the boost from Griffith had around 5,000 infantry and about 1,300 heavy horse. We've talked before about how devastating these heavy horse can be on an open field. So 1,300 of them is, is a real big threat, you know, not to be messed yeah. with. So the battle itself started on 11th of December, 1282, with Llewellyn's army occupying a hill near the village of Kilmary. So they were poised there, ready to repel any assault from the south across the Orowin Bridge. Llewellyn had around 7,000 infantry and 160 Tailey. So Tailey, Welsh word for family, were like the best Welsh knights, essentially. They were these heavily armoured cavalry units tasked with looking after the royals or, you know, people of high station on the battlefield. It sounds you've like... You've seen Game of Thrones. They, I like to think of them as like the King's Guard, you know, they're quite, quite cool. Or if you watch Fast and the Furious, it's what Triple X likes to call those around him. <laughs> yeah, that is much better, actually. <laughs> it's my, my Tailey. Scrap what I just said. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Dom Toretto, it's fucking Brian O'Connor, it's the rest of them, and they they go around in Mustangs and they just just educate you on why family's important. That's a much better idea. <laughs> so say those numbers again. I think I got that. I just that got was... seven thousand infantry and then one hundred and sixty Dom Toretto Fast and Furious <laughs> families, and that's against five hundred infantry from the English and a thirteen hundred cavalry. 5,000 infantry, mm. 1,300 cavalry. Sorry, yeah. And most of the infantry was archers. Yeah, yeah, vast majority of them, yeah. yeah. So you'd think from, a, again, I know we always make this comparison, but from playing medieval Total War, I'd almost click the automatically resolve button for this because I'd think 7,000 and some change is going to beat theirs. But it's, yeah. uh, it's all, you know, it's all up yeah. for grabs. So the Welsh also had, within their army, a few local archers from Brecon. They betrayed the, the English after they'd lost Battle of Llandale Vowel, basically. So they were sick of their rule. And they'd sort of jumped in on the uh, the hype wagon as well into Llewellyn's rebellion. Llewellyn himself wasn't positioned with his army. He'd gone to speak with local leaders at Bilth Castle. And a devious local had informed the martial lords of a ford a couple of miles downstream where the men could cross uh, sort of like shallow part of the river. So to get this right, can I just... Yeah, sorry. So at the moment, the Welsh are positioned, blocking off a bridge so the English can't uh, throw their horses at them and attack them. So they have enough men blocking the bridge and then they have their men waiting on a hill. So strategically, they're safe. They can't be attacked. But like you said, this little snitch had told the English of a ford a little bit down the road where people could cross, which the Welsh were unaware of. 
yeah, I was unaware what of a, what Ford was. Yeah. I had to look that up. <laughs> and it's just like a shallow crossing in a river. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little bit of a Yeah, because I was like, oh, you know, a Ford. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you should have <laughs> where a Ford was. And I was like, oh, yeah. like in Fast and the Furious films, a Ford. <laughs> okay. Oh, an absolute <laughs> fjord in the fucking Norwegian hills. A fjord, my lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just a small river that's very maneuverable across. Essentially, yeah. So this guy, this little local, uh, was basically... Rat. Like that Ethialtes from the um, the film Three Hundred, <laughs> you know, little fucking weasel. Yeah. He led them to a little, you know, sneaky cheating path, basically. So the lords sent their archers downstream across this ford, and they just started to rain down arrows on the Welsh. So the Welsh were obviously taken by surprise by this, but turned to face their attacking archers and try somewhat to mount a defence. The rest of the English army could now cross the undefended Orowin Bridge because the Welsh had turned to face the, the attacking archers. The English archers concentrated their fire on the Welsh Shiltrons. So I had to look this up as well, what these were. These are basically uh, a term for compact groups of troops. They were designed to create like the shield walls, you know, like from Last Kingdom. Yeah, they, these ones, I really like them. They they do them a lot in this time in history. So against So William Wallace was really effective using them. Often they're spearmen, so they have really long pikes or spears, and they go in a tight circle formation, so horses couldn't really smash into them because they'd get hit by the spears. And the Welsh had adopted that position for ages, and often you'd have links of chainmail between links of like metal connecting children, so horses couldn't crush through them and over overrun them. But if you picture this, and yeah, they're all in a big circle, but they're so tightly packed like sardines, the English archers were absolutely decimating them. This disorganised the Welsh formations, and before they could get their shit together, the English heavy horse had made it across the bridge and smashed them from behind. So we talked about the heavy horse a lot in the past on various episodes, and the Welsh have often been protected from these thanks to the sort of unforgiving terrain, just sort of neuters the heavy horse and sort of takes away their advantage. But because they were on the open field, the you know these guys were just fucking deadly. I was doing a bit of research on them. Do you know they're, they're over 500 kilos? In weight, Ooh, wow. it's just mus- pure, pure muscle and armor, and they can run at forty mile an hour. So this particular English army had thirteen hundred of them. So that's pretty fucking devastating. It's so you scary know, in these in these Chilterns or not? Yeah, it's even in these Chilterns, like you said, are they effective defenses because they'd been peppered and they were a bit yeah. sort of disorganized. They would have just been run absolutely well, I read, ragged. I read because like they they were leaderless and demoralized because Llewellyn had gone off to speak to these new people you know, to try and get more people. But they started to try and run up the hill, and as they run up the hill, that's when the horses came in and like clattered them. And it's, it's a pretty grim image, like being sardine next to your fellow countrymen getting kebabbed and skewed by arrows, and the next thing you just have these like tanks of horses running you down. You just wouldn't know which way was up, would you? Because it, it all to them, I imagine, <laughs> happened all so fast. You know, that sounds like a nan thing to say. That's like such a you don't oh, know which way, way, way was bloody up, would you? <laughs> don't know if you're coming or going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's really good euphemisms for what it would mo- no doubt be a real bloody and brutal battle. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know what way it's just don't, just don't like the idea. <laughs> I just don't like the idea of the nastiness of it all. Just trying yeah. to take the edge off a little bit. But the uh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, back to reality from uh, with Nana Jack. Uh, <laughs> the Welsh had been well and truly routed here, taking huge losses. They began to flee just as Llewellyn was returning from these 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 talks with um, uh, the other lords in Belf Castle. He was on the outskirts of the fighting as he was cut down by an English man-at-arms named Stephen de Frankton. So that's not the most glorious 
of endings to the dear leader, to be honest. Well, there's there's other rumours. There we go. Such such as war, isn't it? There's about three different rumours about how he died. So, one version is he was killed by the English man at arms, who is a leader of an English centenarer, which is a, a word for a man in charge of a hundred archers. So he he was reportedly killed by Stephen Frankton, and they didn't realise at the time that he was a Llewellyn in Llewellyn or Llewellyn Griffiths. So we say Llewellyn in Llewellyn. He's the same person as Llewellyn Ap Griffith. It's just in Welsh that means our last king, the last of us. Yeah, it's, it's not quite a direct person. translation, is it? Because it's no. um, it's like our last colour, but it kind of yeah. means like last of our flag, last yeah, of our. Yeah, he was yeah, the last, like last of our line or something. He was the last true king of Wales. Others say there's another account that he was chased into the woods and surrounded by uh, a, a garrison and killed. So there's, there's different rumours, but the most agreed upon one was Stephen de Frankton. Yeah, and and as you said, his his body actually wasn't um, discovered until the next day, because um, sources suggest he'd been in sort of like incognito for his meeting. He wouldn't be wearing his sort of typical clothing like his tabard, and all that. I think it's a tabard, is it? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like, like a it sounds like thing. an old fashioned thing. Can I tell you what happened? To, I mean, what yeah, happened just go with that, to his head. I'm not sure if you're going to cover this, so apologies if you were. Oh yeah, that was my next point. But you you go you go ahead. You can give it a bit of flair. So I was going to say that. So afterwards. Uh, they they severed, chopped his head off, and it is no. It was then sent to Edward at Rhiflan, which is a place in North Wales. And after that, he was being shown to the English troops based in Anglesey. Edward then sent it to London, and then in London, it was set upon a pillory for an entire day, and is crowned with ivy to show that he was in quotations king of outlaws, which is a mockery of the ancient Welsh prophecy, which said that a Welshman would one day be crowned in London as king of whole of Britain. Then it was carried by a horseman on the point of his lance to the Tower of London and set up over the gate, and it was still on the Tower of London for 15 years. Yeah, the grim, isn't it? Yeah, the, um... yeah. This is the same man, this is Edward Longshanks, who's in depicted in Braveheart as you know that, that cruel English king, Hammer of the Scots. The roof, most though. ruthless man to ever sit on the throne of England. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was a bastard. He was a nasty bastard. Mm-hmm. In a way, though, I think it says um, a lot about how much of a pain in the ass Llewellyn was to Edward that he afforded him such a what's the word disrespectful. Well, <laughs> end. I read this though. Llewellyn started fighting against Edward's dad when he was twenty years old, and he successfully fought off the English for. 40 years. So he he died as a 61-year-old man, still being a king. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later on, but I'll let you finish off this battle in a second. Yeah, so well, that's basically effectively the end when uh, Llewellyn was killed. The, the, the sort of immediate aftermath of that is the Welsh crown fell to his brother David then. He led, you know, a, a guerrilla war against the English for about 10 months, I think it was. Yeah. But it was the last sort of death knells of, of the rebellion, really. He was eventually betrayed captured and executed and he had a bit of a nasty end himself he um he was the first prominent person in recorded history to have been hung drawn and quartered and he was dragged through the streets of shrewsbury attached to a horse's tail hanged alive revived disemboweled and then his entrails were burned in front of him they then cut his body into four quarters so jesus quite similar to what happened old braveheart in the well, film is, yeah. basically i was thinking it when is. i was reading that that's basically well, that's what the exact it is, scene it? for scene that's what it so they, that's what another yeah. thing that they say when they because apparently another rumor was that he was llewellyn was chased down on horse and speared which is exactly what happened the battle of sterling to braveheart to william wallace and this was written about 50 oh, years yeah. later so people think that they've just made the same story up twice 
but it's a similar demise. But um, do you know what else they did? Edward did. Those bastards know we have the internet to check these things. <laughs> yeah. Well, Edward really was delighted with this because he'd been a he'd hated Llewellyn for years, and Llewellyn had cost him so much money and time, and he wasn't ready for that resistance. He really humiliated the dynasty of. Gwynedd, which is where Llewellyn was from, he took all their insignia, took everything down that would ever be representative of Wales, to have a really solemn, have everyone to come out and like you know pay their treaties and whatever. This was the very last Welsh dynasty, the very last Welsh king. Uh, Edward Byrne, Llewellyn's brothers, Llewellyn and Llewellyn's wives, metal insignias and turned them into a cup to drink out of, and he got real delight from doing so. Christ, uh, to to have another quote from Django Unchained in this in this one episode. <laughs> I think you're a sore loser. I think you're an abysmal winner. Boom. <laughs> Just fucking <laughs> told you, Edward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and like, like we said, this was the, the last uh, war of independence. I don't know why they say that, because Glyndwr tries to hang on as well, but maybe because it's not a monarch. Yeah, I think even though he is considered... I think he was... Was he officially crowned Prince of Wales? I can't no. remember now, but he, but he was, but he, yeah, he's not of the bloodline, is he? Sort of thing. So in terms no. of monarchy, uh, and um, it is the last time a Welsh yeah. prince did it. And Llewellyn, this Llewellyn was actually for the first time in history acknowledged as a king of Wales by Edward's father, Henry V, I think. He after like a bit of a humiliating defeat by Llewellyn, so Edward's father acknowledged him as the first ever king of Wales. Henry uh, with a bit of yeah, a bit of humility in. You know, his position and whatever. Respect where respect's due type thing. Yeah. There's been, like, he Henry had suffered too many defeats and he was going through too much stuff in England, so he, he did, agreed that if Llewellyn would pay treaty to him every year, that he would actually be the King of Wales. That's the thing with, with why Llewellyn was so important, because he fought for, like, he ruled and fought for over 40 years and no other one in Wales have been able to control or keep. That takes us on to our final two segments. I say final, we only have two segments on this, but we have Man of the Match and Dick of the Day, and that's where we decide who we think is the most important part or figure or section of a battle or moment in history, and then the Dick of the Day, the person who's the real villain of the piece, the person who's, like, fucked it up. I have explained that so poorly, but I'm tired. Mm. I've had about four cans, so I've, I've left... For any of you nerds who don't know... Those are sporting terms, okay? So get with the program, yeah. <laughs> Jack, Jack, once again, I've said this a thousand times. Jack isn't a football fan, but he's absolutely taken on board the uh, the importance of man of the match and dick of the day. Then, Our audience know, mate, that they, they know that that was an in joke between me and <laughs> yeah. them. They're like, oh, I gotta that's stop classic thinking Jack. that this will be the first episode. So by now, you should know what these segments are. And uh, our man of the match will start with then. So we're going to give this to who we think is the most worthy of recognition for this battle. So I struggle with this, mate, and I think I might have gone... Tell me if I've gone about this the wrong way. But I know we usually do battles where the Welsh have won and yeah. been successful. So the man of the match is quite a nice title to give to someone who's, you know, given us the W, basically. But this time, I've done the man of the match as in who has won the match for the victor, which in this case happens to be the English. Yeah, I was thinking the same. I was thinking, well, we usually we only do things where Wales comes across as well. But yeah. I, I actually, I was true to my country, and I wasn't a little turncoat like you, and I've managed to sneak one in, so uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll let enough. you go first, I'll let you go first, because it is a tough year. Okay, I, I've absolutely turned, and I, not not nicely, I'm not, I'm not happy about it, you know, but there we are. Although it pains me to say, I'd say the, the man of the match, the guy who got the victory, I think is the little bloody hunchback from the 300, Fialtis, bloody... Rat, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've just got these 
it, to me, it's happened the exact same way as well. Edward the First is is bloody Xerxes offering him uh, amputee <laughs> prosies while there's a guy with a fucking goat head that plays the fucking yeah. flute in one of the tents yeah. or something like that. So, and this guy's going, I want a uniform so right at the end. And then uh, he get. gets a... <laughs> Just in case people don't get the 300 references, Jack's saying that the person who should win it is the guy who told them where the Ford was and could uh, literally sold whales down the river and said, come down this way. So he's the one who made the archers go down across the river and shoot across at the Welsh people. Correct? Yeah. So I'm I'm not saying what he did was right, but I'm saying in terms of who got the victory, he's the man of the match, isn't he? You know, I'm sure the English would think very much so. He, you know, without his help, it would have been a much tougher battle. Well, mine is now. This sounds conflicted, but I think Llewellyn and Llewellyn. So Llewellyn at Griffiths, like I said a thousand times, it's the same person, but he's known in history as Llewellyn and Llewellyn. And the reason I'm going to pick him, like, let me give you a little uh, uh, trait. Let me give you a little essay about why I think it's him. I was reading about the lead up to this war, and like you said, it was his brother who started it. So it wasn't really his fight. It was a Welsh rebellion started by his brother who attacked Howard and Castle and laid siege to another. Llewellyn hadn't actually been part of any of this planning but felt obliged to join his brother and protect the people of Wales. Uh, at the time, though, Llewellyn had already agreed to peace terms with Edward, pretty humiliating ones, but was left with a, no- a small area of North Wales to control. But he was actually allowed to finally marry an English noblewoman named Eleanor de Montford, who Edward had imprisoned when he found out Llewellyn loved her a few years earlier. She was also part of a family right. that Edward hated, but Llewellyn had allied with, so Edward hated this lady and this family. So when Llewellyn called to marry her, she came across from France and he ordered pirates to capture her and then she was imprisoned. Apparently Llewellyn really loved this woman and a part of the negotiations during the last time they had peace talks and uh, Llewellyn lost a lot of land, etc. One of the rules was that Llewellyn was now allowed to legally marry this woman, uh, Eleanor. Previously they'd married by proxy, but Edward finally gave him permission and they got married at Worcester Castle. There's still a stained glass window that exists to this day depicting the wedding of the Prince of Wales and Lady Eleanor. And I read by all accounts the marriage. Was I love that a lover and a fighter. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But by all accounts, this marriage was a genuine love match. Llewellyn is not known to have fathered any illegitimate children, which was extremely unusual and incredibly rare for Welsh royalty. If you had an illegitimate child, they were equal. As <laughs> says a lot about the the Welsh boys. <laughs> yeah, but if you had an illegitimate child, they had just as much claim to the throne as a legitimate child. But he was incredibly in love with her. Even when she was in prison, he didn't go out with anybody else. Go out with. <laughs> he didn't date anybody else. Date. Date's the one word. He didn't court. Oh, it's courting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he was. He really was like this kind of old romantic about it. Um, and another reason why he's my man of the match is because apparently the Archbishop of Canterbury tried to mediate between Llewellyn and Edward during this final campaign. Llewellyn was actually offered a large estate in England if he was to surrender Wales to England. He was given loads of riches a comfortable life to see out his final days. But in an emotional reply, Llewellyn said he could not abandon the people who have ancestors has protected since the days of Cambus and of Brutus. And he painfully rejected the offer. He said he couldn't do this to his people, nor will he do this to his people. So he loved his wife, his country, and he died defending it. And this is his third campaign defending Wales. He, he'd fought against Edward for two previous campaigns and Edward's father once. So for 40 years of his six-year life, he'd fought fighting and defending for Wales. So Unlike you, mate, I'm a loyalist. And what a guy! I think he was my man of the match, despite the loss. Yeah, I uh, well, I can't really argue against that, mate. It's um, as much as the Altis is a big player, <laughs> and not quite as big a player as Llewellyn. So yeah, I don't mind going with him. Yeah. Well, my dick of the day was Fialti, the local snitch who couldn't wait to stitch up his country. Oh, 
you're going to love this. <laughs> My dick of the day is Llewellyn. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Controversial, if yeah. true, but yeah. yes. <laughs> Just for the day, only the day. The rest of his life, he was a ledge, but, you know, for the day, I've just... For me, and I know I won't turn you on to this <laughs> idea, especially because you gave such a, a lovely, impassioned <laughs> speech then about how much of a lovely fucking guy he was. <laughs> but just for the day, I just think he just... I don't know. I think the, the idea to go into Mid-Wales, uh, across from um, Mid-Wales, is a bit overreached. I feel as though it, a lot of this was down to, like, bad admin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's almost as if they went... Oh, Llewellyn, you know, you're booked in for the um, the battle with the martial lords at nine. Are you going to make it? Ah, oh, I was double booked. I'm, I'm in Bilth Castle, actually, with the other guys. Do you think you guys can get on without me? Oh, well, we'll give it a go, sort of thing. I can't ever feel that this should have been a bit more... I know yeah. it's not as easy as sending an email back then, of course, you <laughs> yeah. know. But, but you're um, probably right. It is probably down but, to poor, poor logistics and planning. It's like, if I think if Llewellyn had been there, I think I, that would have made all the difference morale-wise. And... Just things like, I don't know, the tactics that, oh, this bridge is vital. We need to keep an eye on that. Oh, we're being peppered. Let's just divert our entire force. Yeah. You know, they needed to be a bit more commander. I think Llewellyn, you know, like you said, he was a 60-year-old bloke at this time, at this point. He'd had decades of battle experience. I think he would have been able to sniff yeah. out what was going on and had a bit Isn't more that mad, a, a level head when this was going on. Isn't it mad, the picture, being 60 years old and being in a battle? That insane. I... I I will kill myself if I have to work in an office past 50. So consider, yeah. <laughs> considering that. Well, you gave yeah. quite a good good uh, reason why he'd be dick of the day. Um, can I just say why I think the F- FELT, this little snitch you uh, sold Wales down the river, because I bet he was like a Simon yeah. uh, figure, you know, the Welsh secretary for the Tories, like stabbing his own men in the back for a oh, brief yeah. bit of power and status. Like this pathetic old worm. And I can picture him saying, oh, yeah. oh, I told you, my lord. little some. Some scraps from Longshanks' table. Yeah, and do you know that guy um, in the Hobbit? He's like he's, he's like the Grimmer Worm Turn figure in the Hobbit, who's like uh, oh, Stephen yeah. Fry's yeah. mate. Yeah. A just <laughs> question, my lee. <laughs> yeah. But you know the one of the Hobbit who's um, so not Grimmer Worm Turn, but the one who's friends with Stephen Fry, and he's like a real. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they they are very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah are, very similar they? characters. Yeah, yeah. sorry. That's why I got confused. But yeah, he's mm. basically the same. Snivelling little bastard. Yeah, but he's always yeah. dressed in black, and he's got black hair, and he's got really crooked teeth, and he's horrid. Yeah, it looks like a pedo. Yeah, nonce. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, we're at loggerhead, and the man of the match for me was... We're, we're actually, we chose in the polar opposites. Well, that's because I, I'm a fucking traitor, and yeah. I've done it from the side of the English. Yeah. I don't mind. i tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll do... A double agent, and I'll switch back. No, no, I think and then they're both right. aligned, aren't I, they? I, so. think, <laughs> I think we can both agree here. Let's have man of the match as Llewellyn, dick of the day as Llewellyn. Whoa! Ooh, that is. I like that. That's yeah. gonna. That's gonna create some buzz when this episode comes out. <laughs> Whoa, man! <laughs> I can't believe they did that. Can you believe? I can't make the reaction videos <laughs> yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I can, we're going to tag this one. We did it. No, what, what, you will not believe what happened in this week's episode. Yeah. Or Owen Bridge gone yeah. sexual. Yeah. Uh, number two will surprise you. But there's, yeah, I, rec- I reckon that's a fair way of doing it. You know, the duality of man. Man can be many things. The faceless man. I like that. Two sides 
of the same coin, you yeah. might say. And he did have coins with his face on it, so that works on that level. It's all coming full circle. I like this. It's very yeah. uh, a smooth ending for us. Yeah. Well, what do you reckon? Are you ha- are you happy with that? I'm happy with that. Yeah, man of the match and dick of the day, both the same person. Yeah. Guess like what, it. internet? I don't care if you don't think we can do it. <laughs> We've done it. All right. Yeah. We broke uh, the rules. We broke the mold. I, I was going to see if we got any other notes, but I'm pretty sure we covered it. Um, it's a pretty sad one because it's the one of the first times we've acknowledged that Wales isn't a beautiful independent nation. Which I was thinking. Yeah, I think it's literally the first when we've talked about this. We haven't the the, the Welsh haven't won something, yeah. so it is sad. But it is also such a, a historical battle for Wales. Like I said, it was literally the end of that revolt. So. Yeah, and they said that this wasn't the last war for independence. But this was the beginning of the end. Although, if you follow Welsh history, Welsh news today, you realise it's not the end for Welsh independence, but it's just no longer a war. So that shows that we've come a long way as a nation, eh? It's not an ad, just a genuine, passionate plug there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm on that. Should we wrap this up and uh, ask people to follow us on Tales for Wales on Twitter and drop us a message if there's anything you want us to cover and sh- like and review all you know all that stuff everyone else says. Five stars, share it with your mates, share it with your ass, all that stuff. And um, we'll catch you again and next so, week. Yeah, the classic classic thing as well of you know don't criticize us just get on with it and <laughs> yeah. you'll like it if you've got or, something bad or, to or, say or about don't us. but don't tell us about it yeah i'll scrap go find your five others mates and i'll meet you outside i'll kick your head in but apart from that <laughs> we really appreciate your time if you don't like it go back to fucking piers morgan and fucking <laughs> the kardashians and shit like that because you don't know what entertainment <laughs> is all right cheers now bye 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 <laughs>